But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Christ has risen.
the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Glory to you, O God. On this day, you won victory over death, raising Jesus from the grave and giving us eternal life. Glory to you, O Christ, for us and for our salvation. You overcame death and opened the gate to everlasting life. Glory to you, O Holy Spirit, you lead us into the truth. Glory to you, O Blessed Trinity, now and forever. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in this sanctuary, as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. It is a good and wonderful thing for us to gather together to proclaim the good news of the resurrection and to greet one another in the name of our risen Lord. Because it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we greet one another, our word of welcome is offered with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in the house of God, so all are welcome here at First Presbyterian Church. We would like to invite everyone to a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service, which will take place in Old Buttonwood Hall. That is just out this door to my right, down a short ramp. There you will find our deacons have prepared some light refreshments, but most importantly, you will find the opportunity for us to engage with one another to our faces and be able to speak and greet one another with Easter greetings on this day. We'd also be delighted if you would please, all of you, members and guests alike, sign the friendship pad. And that means even if you are sitting on a pew by yourself, you may have noticed we have moved from pre-registering you for worship to using these friendship pads as our means of contact tracing. So in the event that we find that someone in the service has come down with COVID, we'll be able to reach you and let you know that perhaps if you've been exposed, if that is the case. So please do sign the friendship pads and send those down the pew and back again. Again, so that we may greet one another by name at the conclusion of this service. I'd like to note that communion today is served by the practice of intinction, which means you will be invited to come forward, if you wish, during the time of communion to receive your elements here at the front of the sanctuary. We did consult with our resident epidemiologist who assures us that the risk is minimal in this instance, although there is no situation with, with no risk whatsoever. But in order to avoid any bottlenecks, our ushers will guide you to come forward by pews so that we can easily come to and from the front to receive our communion. If for any reason you are uncomfortable or do not wish to come forward for communion, our ushers are also prepared with kits that they will provide for you in your seat so that no one has to come forward who doesn't want to, but all who, are, who prefer to are welcome to do so. Either way, we will, in, we will share together in the sacrament of communion. There are a number of other opportunities for you to plug in deeply to the life of faith here at First Church. Rather than highlight them individually, I will just direct you to our webpage where you will find all sorts of opportunities. 
With all of these things noted, let us continue our worship now with our confession of sin. The proof of God's amazing love is this. While we were sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. This God of new life, the God of resurrection, is the God in whom we have faith. Therefore, in faith and in penitence, let us confess our sin together before God and one another, and then individually in a moment of silence. Let us pray. God of the resurrection, we are an Easter people. We have been called out of the brokenness of sin into your marvelous light. In Jesus Christ, you sought and redeemed the lost and the sinners. In Jesus Christ, you called us into a new way of being. While we rejoice at the empty tomb of Easter, too soon our thoughts turn away. Too soon the good news fades in our ears and we return to old ways and tired patterns. Where you have called us into light, we dwell in the shadows, afraid to step fully into view because we are afraid of the light. Forgive our sin, we pray, and lead us into your fullness of your grace. For we pray in the name of our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Friends, believe the promise of the gospel. We are forgiven.
First lesson is taken from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 19. Excuse me. <laughs> Listen for the word of the Lord. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This ends the first reading. We read there beginning at the first verse and continuing through the 18th. Continue to listen for the word of God. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, 
but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be pleasing, even acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Of the many things that I love about Easter, one of the things I love most is that our working knowledge as a congregation on Easter Sunday is so strong. If we had, for instance, crowdsourced the Easter story today rather than reading it from the scriptures, I have no doubt we could have cobbled together a pretty complete version of the story. We might have had a little disagreement about who exactly was waiting in the tomb, or we might encounter a touch of confusion as to whom was being greeted in the garden. Uh, There are one or two fine points here and there in the story about which we might have to agree to disagree, But that just puts us in good company with the gospel writers, who also didn't get all the details exactly the same. Three versions of the story agree on the same words, though. He has been raised. The fourth gospel, John, doesn't even have to say the words. Mary just turned around, and there Jesus is. And I suppose you don't have to say it when you show it. That's the great thing about Easter. We all know what the celebration is about, particularly this year, after two Easters away from one another. I I think we started from the minute we walked in, getting ready to proclaim those words, He is risen, He is risen indeed. That is good news. Those words are the heart of the gospel, that in Christ's resurrection lies the hope of our own. No doubt about it. It's the news on a day like this that we want to hear And it's the news that on every day we need to hear. There are a lot of folks who have needed to hear that good news. I have one fellow in particular in mind. You may know him. This fellow was an educated, renaissance man. He didn't attend one of the Ivies for college, but he may as well have. Such were his connections and his education. He was at the top of his game, respected in his neighborhood, respected in his faith community. Maybe you know him. His name was Paul. Forget what you know about Paul. Yes, he wrote a few things that folks have used incorrectly through the years to target folks for exclusion. Yes, he was an early persecutor of the church. He readily admits this. By his own words, he is unworthy to be called an apostle because of his work persecuting the church. But above all, Paul 
was a sinner of God's own redeeming. And by the grace of God, Paul came to write of the church's ministry of reconciliation. We are all familiar with the Easter story. Like I said, we could piece it together. But do you know what comes after it in John's Gospel narrative? It's the story of the reconciliation of Peter. In the story of Jesus' suffering and crucifixion, Peter denied that he knew Jesus, not once, but three times, out of fear that he might be seen as guilty by association. But then in the final verses of John's Gospel, Jesus reaches out to Peter. He does it a first time. Then he does it a second time. And finally, a third time, one for each denial, so that by the grace of God, Peter also is reconciled. By the grace of God, Paul is reconciled. By the grace of God, Peter is reconciled. Both of them sinners of God's own redeeming. And I worry sometimes that when people hear the word sin or sinner, they hear it as somehow just sort of dripping with condemnation. Now, I suppose perhaps a few preachers do mean it that way. And God knows we have all heard one too many public figures conclude their perp walk with a flippant catchphrase, I have sinned. But to be honest about sin is to enable us to hear deeply and truly the good news of the resurrection. Sin and sinner are descriptive terms. They do not mean that we are as bad as we could possibly be. Nothing could be further from the truth. But they do mean that there is something within each of us that is broken and needs healing. Last Sunday for Palm Sunday, I was preaching about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and I said to the congregation that all of the hallelujahs we utter are necessarily cold and broken, that the only kind of proclamation we can make is a broken hallelujah because we ourselves have experienced brokenness, and, and that brokenness runs so deep that we cannot fix it ourselves. And, and therefore, by definition, all of the hallelujahs we utter this day and every day are cold and they are, are broken. And of course, I was blatantly ripping off Leonard Cohen's song, Hallelujah. A few years ago, I started rolling around in my head this notion of a cold and broken hallelujah. And I must have talked about it a bit too much, because finally a friend sent me Cohen's song, Come Healing, with the note, After the cold and broken hallelujahs, come healing. Cohen sings, Oh, gather up the brokenness and bring it to me now, the fragrance of those promises you never dared to vow, the splinters 
that you carry, the cross you left behind, come healing of the body, come healing of the mind, and truly, truly into whatever brokenness we have encountered in our lives, into whatever whatever disruption has fallen into our lives, whatever pain and rupture we've experienced in our life and with our loves, the healing balm of reconciliation is, in every way that matters, the grace of God. Because by the grace of God, healing is for sinners. Whatever our personal brokenness, mine may not be the same as yours, but we all have it, whatever our brokenness, the proclamation that he is risen is the word of hope that in the grace of God we are reconciled to God and to one another. I find that in recent years I have been thinking rather a lot about reconciliation. It seems that there are seasons when we need to hear about reconciliation, seasons when we need to experience an extra measure of reconciliation between ourselves. So much, it seems, conspires to hold us at arm's length from one another, when by the grace of God we could be drawing together. And I don't mean necessarily those of us in this room, but I do think in larger, greater culture, there are, there are so many forces that conspire to keep us as separate from one another as we can possibly be. Think of the ways that we divide up into camps. We turn practically at times into warring factions over any number of issues. But what we really need to talk about is how we are coming together. And when that is the case, when we are so divided one from another, there is something missing from our common life. Think of the matters of poverty and wealth and the accompanying ailments of hunger and homelessness, domestic violence and addiction. There's something missing from our common life. When we begin devolving into the polarities of whatever viewpoint we most cherish or perhaps find most reassuring, there is something missing when we view one another as adversaries, something has gone tragically amiss in our common life. And what is missing from our common life is us. We are the ones who have gone missing whenever we fail to do the resurrection work of Jesus Christ. By the grace of God, we are called into the resurrection life, and that means doing the work of redemption and reconciliation now. Do you know that you, each of you, not collectively, perhaps collectively as well, but each of you individually have a part in the resurrection work of Jesus Christ? I love a story that Professor Tony Campolo tells about a former student of his, Brian Stevenson. Some of you may know of him from the book and the movie, Just Mercy. Campolo recounts that Stevenson graduated top of his class from 
the university where he taught, and went on to Harvard Law, after which he clerked for a federal judge. And Campolo asked somewhat rhetorically, do you have any idea how much money this guy could be making? A quarter million dollars at least, and he wrote that 30 years ago. But then he says, instead, he's living in a one-room apartment in Montgomery, Alabama. And every morning, Brian Stevenson gets up and goes down to the jailhouse and defends poor people, especially those who are on death row. Stevenson says, there are two kinds of law. One for the rich and powerful. They get lawyers that get them off. There's another kind of law for the poor and oppressed. And the poor go down the tubes, Tony, because the poor have no one to speak for them. And then he smiled and said, except in Montgomery, Alabama, because in Montgomery, Alabama, Tony, I speak for the poor. And Tony, I'm good. I'm really good. Campolo concludes, Brian, you don't know how good you are. You didn't let them kill the dream. You didn't let them stifle the vision. Do you know that you are part of the resurrection work of Jesus Christ? God has a dream and a vision of creation that the resurrection realizes, that we can be reconciled to God and to one another, that we can live the lives that God created us to live. And whether we whisper it or whether we say it with a shout, he is risen indeed. Those are the first words of reconciliation that lead us into the coming of the kingdom of God. Do you know you're doing all that when you say those words? And yet there are so many ways that we are called on by God to practice resurrection. And there are so many ways that God's dream of reconciliation is still stifled in the present tense. The cynicism of believing we can't do a blessed thing about it is the worst of all. I suspect that we become paralyzed in our work because we believe that practicing resurrection, living reconciliation has to be as dramatic as tombs cracked open and bodies raised from the dead. And let's be very clear, for God, it is. But for the rest of us, an act of kindness, forgiveness, mercy, by the grace of God, these things are turned into the clay from which God is fashioning even now a new creation, a redeemed creation, and making us co-creators with God of the world that is unfolding in the good news of the resurrection. There's an old folk song by David Wilcox, who lives in western North Carolina. Actually, it's, it's more of a parable. It's called Carpenter's Story, and I think it illustrates well what I'm saying. 
these things. I don't know how long it had been since these neighbors had even talked to each other. I think it had been two years, maybe. And it all started over the dumbest thing. It was just a stray cat. I mean, one of them thought it was theirs, and then it went over to the other porch there, across the little field, across the valley there, and the other farmer took it in. Each of them thought it was their cat. And every time they'd start talking, they'd start arguing about it. Then they just quit talking. And so that when the traveler came through looking for work, one farmer said, well, yeah, you say you're a carpenter? I've got some work for you. You see that house across the field there? Well, that's my neighbor. And you see that little ditch here in the middle? Well, he calls that a creek. He dug that with his plow. He went up the hill and changed the way the spring comes down the creek. It's just a little trickle running through there. Well, if he is going to divide us up with that thing, I'll just as soon finish the job. I want a fence all the way across. I don't even want to look at him. Can you do that? And this carpenter says, well, yeah, I could do that. I would need a whole lot more wood. But I could get started with what you've got in the shed, and you can go into town. By the time the farmer comes back, driving up that old rutted road in his truck full of lumber, and he looks out across the field where his new fence ought to be, and that carpenter has built a bridge out of his wood onto his land. And here comes his neighbor walking across his bridge, walking onto his land, big old outstretched hand, big old stupid smile on his face. Coming right up to his truck, his neighbor says, you're a brave man. I didn't think you'd ever want to hear the sound of my voice again. I feel like such a fool. Can you, can you forgive me? The farmer finds himself saying, oh, oh heck, I knew that was your cat. He looks over, and the carpenter is walking away. He says, hey, hey, I've, I've got some, some work for you. If you... And the carpenter says, you'll be fine. I need it elsewhere. And then in the album, Wilcox goes straight into the song, Fearless Love. An old preacher tells a story about traveling in the GDR sharing a train car with a woman who spoke no English and he spoke no German. And as the train flacked along the tracks, she peeled an orange and handed him half. And so he broke open his train station sandwich and sort of tore it in half and handed her half and said, you know, that's the shortest distance between two people across the table. The ministry of reconciliation is the work of the church. Practicing resurrection is the ongoing work of the people of God. And as we do so, 
we break down the dividing lines of hostility that threaten to separate us. What's the distance between Philadelphia and Kiev? Just across that table. And what's the distance between Americans and the Russian people? It's just across that table. And it isn't just this table across which the grace of God flows. It is every table where the love of Christ is allowed in. It is any old table. It can be your kitchen table. It is any old table where you and I can remember He is risen and our cynicism dries up. It's any old table where we can remember He is risen and the tension between two people can ratchet down long enough for us to view one another as children of God. Maybe that sounds like a naive, simplistic, do-gooder, Pollyanna-ish sort of way of looking at the world. Maybe it is. But don't you want in on that? Don't you want to let go of whatever brokenness is clinging to you? Don't you want to let go of the relentless need to be perfect? Don't you want to exhale from the constant tension of being on guard against people you disagree with? By the grace of God, we can. By the grace of God, we are reconciled. By the grace of God, we are redeemed. And by the grace of God, we are all joined to the work of Christ's reconciliation, begun with those simple words, He is risen. He is risen indeed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made human and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in the one Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated. With glad and generous hearts, let us give from what we have received as we return to God our talents, time, and tithes. You are welcome to bring forward your offering during this time if you wish. The plates are on these side tables. You can also give via our church website if that is easier for you. And we thank you for your gifts.
eternal God, from the abundance of your creation, we have all that we need. Indeed, we have more. Accept these offerings that we bring as tokens of our commitment to love you and to serve you. Bless them and multiply them so that we might see your kingdom at work through Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Beloved in Christ, this is the joyful feast of the Lord. Scripture teaches that people will come from east and west and north and south to sit at table with our risen Savior, who is even now the unseen host. We read from the pages of the Gospel that it was at table when the disciples first recognized their risen Lord as he blessed the, blessed the bread and broke it and gave it to him, and their eyes were opened and they knew him. Even still, the followers of Jesus Christ are invited to come to this table to see him and to know him. So, dear friends, this is not First Church's table. It is not a Presbyterian table. It does not even belong to the church. It belongs to none other than Jesus Christ, who calls all, who calls you. So come, dear friends, to the joyful feast. Let us pray. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, eternal God, creator and ruler of the universe. At your word, the earth was made and spun on its course among the planets. Your hand formed us from the dust of the earth and set us among your creatures to love and serve you. When we were unfaithful to you, you kept faith with us. Your love remained steadfast. When we were slaves in Egypt, you broke the bonds of oppression, brought us through the sea to freedom, and made covenant to be our God. By a pillar of fire, you led us through the desert to a land flowing with milk and honey, and set before us the way of life. You spoke of love and justice in the prophets, and in the word made flesh, you lived among us, manifesting your glory. He died that we might live, and is risen to raise us to a new life. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the faithful of every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name.
You are holy, O God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, whom you sent to save us. He came with healing in his touch and was wounded for our sins. He came with mercy in his voice and was mocked as one despised. He came with peace in his heart and was met with violence and death. By your power he broke free from the prison of the tomb, and at his command the gates of hell were opened. The one who is dead now lives. The one who humbled himself is raised to rule over all creation, the Lamb upon the throne. The one ascended on high is with us as always, as he promised. And so remembering all your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and this wine from the gifts you have given us and celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. Accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, as a living and holy offering of ourselves, that our lives may proclaim the one crucified and risen. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, that we may be one with all who share this feast, united in ministry in every place, as the, this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. Nourished at this table, O God, may we know Christ's redemptive love and live a new life in him. Help us who recognize our Lord in the breaking of bread to see and serve him in all whose lives are broken. Give us who are fed at his hand grace to share our bread with the hungry and with the hungry of heart. Keep us faithful in your service until Christ comes in final victory, and we shall feast with all your saints in the joy of your eternal realm. Through Christ, all glory and honor are yours, Almighty Father, with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Church, now and forever. Hear these prayers along with the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and lead us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On the night before he was crucified, Jesus gathered at supper with his friends. He took the bread and gave thanks for it, and then he broke it. And he offered it to his friends, saying, Take and eat, all of you. This is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat it, remember me. In the same manner, after they had supped, he took the cup.
and he gave it to the disciples, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. For as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast.
Let us pray together once more. Merciful and gracious God, we thank you and we praise you that in love you have reached across the abyss of our sin to bring us once more into your embrace. And now, having fed us with, at Christ's table, send us now to be his body, to be those who bring reconciliation and practice resurrection. In the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.
grow now from this joyful feast of the resurrection in the sure and certain knowledge that as God's beloved, you who have been to Christ's table will return to it in this life or in the life that is yet to come. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.